0: Hi, and welcome back to the Rage Fitness Wellbeing Podcast. Our guest today is Matthew Adam, who is a family and couples psychotherapist. I've been practicing that, as you can tell, and I still forgot it. Um, (laughs) Firstly, I want to say thank you because I know how busy you are with your own practice, your consultancy work, family, traveling around the world. Um, So thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. I know we booked in a lot a long time ago, um, so appreciate your your time and your energy coming on. So, for people that don't know what a families and couples psychotherapist is, um, me a little bit because I forget from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is it? What do you do overall?
1: That's a big question, Craig. I
0: know. <laughs> <laughs> I he's going to say that. Oh, man. We might be just an hour talking about this, mightn't we? Yeah, but yeah, we I might. Thought be, I guess just give it some context because I know um, it's a big word. Yeah. And I think it can, and I know there's lots of elements to it.
1: So I think of myself as a relationships therapist because the type of psychotherapy I'm trained in is, is about relationships. And how we communicate with each other. And how sometimes when we miscommunicate, it creates problems or we have different perspectives or different ideas on what's important to us. And that may not match up with someone else. So my job as a psychotherapist in that capacity is to, to help people understand themselves better as well as how, how they can relate better to other people.
0: Okay. Well, I think that was a very good sentence or two to sum up what you do which is obviously a bit pretty much bigger than that overall and i think for people that don't know um you've supported me in the past haven't you Mm. um that when uh, billy was born we had a conversation over the phone i was very nervous very anxious so much so i left the house and drove around the block in the car because i just didn't know what was going to come up yeah i haven't told you that before have i um and I think I was slightly embarrassed a little bit as well. Because mm. you know who I am, like. <laughs> and I think, do <laughs> whatever that means. Caveman. Caveman. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, be, I, thought, I thought it would be good to raise that. Because if I felt like that, and I think I understand myself quite strongly enough. And I reflect quite a lot on myself. And I'm quite self-aware. Mm. When, when Billy came about, I struggled, as again, emotionally to connect with him. So then if I reached out for support and some people would never reach out for support and I I was so nervous and anxious, I got in the car. I think it was like 8 o'clock or something we had the call because um, I didn't want Charlotte to listen. Hmm. I didn't want to be weak in front of Charlotte. I didn't want Charlotte to be worried about me. So then I just got in the car and just drove around the block for 45 minutes, 45 minutes to an hour, whatever it was. Um, and I think your support... I don't, don't, know, don't know how much you know, how much it impacted me and supported me. So this is not a sell of Matthew, but from my perspective, you helped me massively. Hmm. So I thought through the conversation, people might pick up gems or thoughts around or little pieces of information that may help them. That's why I thought it would be good to bring you on. Yeah which Would yeah. be massively helpful. For well, a lot that'd people. be great. Hopefully, I won't disappoint you then. Um, but Hopefully. really, really
1: good, to, really good to know. Um,
0: thanks for, for letting me know that. It only took me three and a half years to let you know. Has it been that long? Probably. No, no, because Billy's <laughs> only two <laughs> yeah, to bit. <laughs> <laughs> took me two years. Um, but yeah, thank you anyway. Thought yeah, i I'll, I'll say that. I've made some notes um, around today's conversation because thought it'd be good to try and hit some points mm. overall. So I'm going, to, I'm going to reference this. Normally I just look at you or look at the camera, but I thought it would be good to try and get as much content out that will help people mm-hmm. overall. Um, I think f- from my perspective, why did you go into psychotherapy? Hmm. What, was the, um, what was the desire?
1: Yeah, I suppose for as long as I can remember, remember the the one thing that, I wanted to do was to help people mm-hmm. right from an early age you know when you you think you know as a, as a child what do I want to be when I grow up and you know I think some of my first ones were like man or you know all those sort of things t- you know traditional wanna, exactly things. you know um and then I thought right well uh I'd like to actually help people uh, well, not that firemen don't help people <laughs> for any firemen out there. This the <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? They do a great job. But we don't um, need them anytime soon. We, well, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, you know, I remember wanting to be a, a, a doctor, a pediatrician uh, from an early age. I love working with kids, you know, from a mm. very early age. Um, and I remember I was in uh, high school and I, I said this to our careers counselor this is what I wanted to do. she she looked at me and she said do you really think you have the grades for that (laughs) and I thought okay
0: (laughs) aim low
1: great confidence boost (laughs) right aim well she was right but but aim low so I thought right well I'd like to I'd like to do something in in health somewhere along the way and that sort of got lost when I went to university because I didn't know what I wanted to do Mm. or how to do it Um, and I spent three years of the four years of university, uh, just kind of drifting, you know, not really knowing what I wanted to do. And it wasn't until I came across counselling as, a, as a, an option that I thought, that's, that's more like what I could do. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I ended up getting a, a BSc in counselling. Um, And that sort of set me on my way towards uh, thinking about, well, actually, what type of counseling do I want to do? I want to be a family therapist. That was probably the point where I realized, actually, I want to work with families uh, in particular, because I know that families are really important. And of course, I have a family. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, it, it was about how can I help people have better relationships in their families? So that then set me on. I suppose, a career path where uh, I went to get my uh, master's degree in social work. So uh, I grew up and was educated in America. Uh, You might think, education in America? Really?
0: (laughs) I'm not saying it. (laughs) Do they do that?
1: Uh, And um, so the the social work degree uh, in in the States uh, would, would have allowed me to practice as a licensed clinical social worker once I got qualified which would be akin to what might be mm. a clinical psychologist, if we think about sort of parity. Um, and uh, so I did that so I could practice as a family therapist. Um, and then I moved to England where I thought, well, I'll just do some work over here, experience the world a little bit.
0: How long ago was that?
1: That was, gosh, do you know, that was uh, 21 years ago. Mm. I lived in America for 19 years, for most of my life, most of my formative years, and I've now lived in the UK for longer. For longer it's than
0: bizarre. that. bizarre. It doesn't down, feel yeah. like that at all. We just discussed before the podcast, like, it. as we say, Billy's two in a bit. So I guess when you've got your own kids and your own, and the own family, and they've grown up now, it, it, you don't realise the time goes rapidly anyway. Or does it? So then once you come over just to try it out spread your wings a little bit let's see what you can do over here you end up being end up staying here longer than you actually lived Mm. in in america for
1: i know it's crazy but anyway so so then uh, when i came over here i thought right well i'll just just be family therapist over here because that's what i can do Mm. uh and you know every where i went to sort of try to find a job as a family therapist that was sort of doors shut on me like what you're a social worker um, and, uh, so I eventually thought, right, well, I, if I want to do family therapy, I need to get my qualification in family therapy over here, which is a distinct degree.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and so that's what I did and, uh, did that qualified. And here I am today as a systemic, systemic couples and family psychotherapist.
0: And i found that interesting you started that conversation by saying you wanted to be a gp but you didn't have the grades to do that Mm -hmm. but then uh i checked over your website this morning just to i guess refresh the brain and the amount of acronyms before your title so you you, you've got i think maybe you found your passion in helping people or families through therapy but you've you've got a mindset of, of learning, I guess, because all the different things that you've that you've attained to be in the position that you are in. Um, do you think you would have enjoyed being um, a paediatrician, as you call it, more so than what you are at the minute? Well, yeah, maybe, it's hard in, in maybe, hindsight.
1: but you know, I mean, that's that's a difficult question because mm. I don't. I'm, I'm I'm not a GP or a doctor. Yeah. Um, I think for me, growing up, academic work was not easy, mm. you know, and I think a lot of the messages that, that I got from teachers was that you're not really that clever. So what's the point in trying? Mm. Right? When you hear that enough times, you just think, well, why bother? Yeah. You know, I was really good at socializing, you know, talking to people, you know, mm. sort of just... And so my focus in, in school tended to be more about just having fun than actually doing the work. Yeah. So in in a way, you know, could I have ever been a doctor? Would I have enjoyed that? Yes. Mm. Uh, but did I feel like I could actually accomplish things, you know, academically? No, not mm. really. And it wasn't really until, I guess, my early adulthood that I started to think, well, actually, actually I, I can learn. I do know things and... As you say I've I've got a few qualifications behind me, but that mm. really came after yeah. I qualified as a systemic psychotherapist.
0: And I guess you have to. This is this is the way I think anyway. I guess when you go into that much depth of education and learning, I guess you you warm your brain up brain up enough from a learning perspective. So then when you go into the next bit, you like you've got all this foundational education and knowledge to then help you get to the next bit and the next Mm. bit. Um, I've got no, from a degree perspective, um, no qualifications in the mental health space. I know that's a very broad statement to make. And I know there's lots of subcategories in it. Um, Yes, I've done, which I'm not saying is on the same level by any stretch. I've done two-day suicide Mm. prevention training. I know that's totally different to years of, university degree. (laughs) I know that. (laughs) I'm not comparing them or whatsoever, but my, I'm getting to the point with was, is that from a, from a therapy conversational guiding and supporting someone through physical, mental, or emotional health, what, what is your stance on a lived experience point of view? I think it's important. I think it's critical. Um, I
1: couldn't do my job properly if I didn't use my lived experience Mm. because how do I relate to people if I just forget everything about me so it's really really important lived experience um, because it it helps us to relate to others uh, whether they have the same experience or whether they don't have the same experience it's still an idea about this is what life is like and I suppose when we start to move into that space where actually we, we can both relate to something, then we can move towards trying to activate some kind of change mm. so if I said to you um, have you ever had a struggle in your life that you thought would be insurmountable what would you say? Yes. and I can say the same mm-hmm. and then I can say well how did you overcome that and you might give me an answer and then I might say well actually that's interesting because the way that i managed was this way yeah and we've got an idea about how a lived experience might bring people together because we can talk about similar experiences it's the same with feelings i think of feelings as relational in that the way that i feel inevitably is either influenced by you or Mm. i can influence you with how i feel
0: because i think that if someone comes in the room now and they're effing in Jeff and looking very threatening, the the energy is affecting you on some level. Absolutely. And regardless of um, my lived experience, your lived experience, we may handle that situation very differently. So I do value the the the, the, the sentence lift experience. Mm. And I think some people in certain areas, in my opinion, undermine it slightly yes when you go into the world of supporting people's mental health from our point of view um we don't profess to be anywhere around clinical or any specific qualifications in that realm um but i have my hat on as much as we can do around the lived experience approach mm. is massive so I just thought i'll get your yeah i mean on that. lived experiences is, is about
1: you know um how you can understand each other mm. better you know if if i haven 't experienced uh, you know deprivation, social deprivation, financial deprivation, you know if i haven 't experienced any of that in my life, can I truly relate to it no i mm. can 't so i can 't know what it 's like to have to go hungry i don 't know what it 's like have to uh, you know constantly be trying to find how you're gonna uh, afford the next bills Mm. I don't have those experiences. I can relate to them in the sense that I know that must be tough and I have worries and the things that that sort of occupy my mind but I can't relate to that in terms of actually what that lived experience is like Mm. and I think that's where (laughs) when we talk about lived experience and why it's important it's because someone who knows what they're talking about can better support someone with the same experience in the sense that actually I can trust you. I know that you know. Yeah. Because I might be good at my job, I might be able to get people to talk and to think about stuff, but there's always going to be that divide mm. because they don't have those experiences.
0: Yeah, I do find that interesting. And I think within... I'm re- referencing the organisation, our rage is that the people we've got within the um, team, there's a a bountiful of experience. So depending on the need of support that somebody needs, um, we've got someone on hand to, as a peer support element, connect them together to support one another. Because the ones that um, work for us now have been in difficult situations and they're not in them difficult situations Mm. anymore. And the people that walk through the door or virtual support, a lot of the people are in those situations still. So it's just connecting those dots. And it's good from my perspective to, I guess, hear your thoughts on that. Mm.
1: But it's about helping people, isn't it? And, yeah. and you know, uh, you have to meet them where they are, right? And, and, and that's not just saying, oh, well, you're in this location or you're in this location, but it's actually relating to someone at the point where they are. And if someone's in, in a world of hurt or they're having a really hard time, um, you know who's the first person they're going to reach out to? Is it going to be someone like me? Maybe, maybe not. Mm. Maybe it's going to be someone who they know they can trust. And I think that's one of the things that, that you do really well. You as a, a team, you as a company, is you generate that sense of, look, we're in this together. We're here to support you and uh, you can talk to us. You know and and trust is really important, and if you 're having a hard time, is it easier to trust someone you don 't know who you don 't know where they come from but, mm-hmm. or what they 're like, or is it easier to trust someone who you know they know what i 've been through
0: and I think well, oh, I think the last one four or five guests, excluding james who who's the pro boxer, the people who 've been through one of our programs. <clears throat> I think it's showcased quite a lot the through conversation, the therapeutic support that we bring to them. Because Jane was on last, and we, she was things popped up that she didn't realise was hindering her wellbeing score. So I feel every time we do these podcasts, it's it's support for people outside watching, listening across social media, um, and I think having you one again is just another enabler of that. Um, so we're going to go down some of the points, if that's okay. Of course. Um, this is a big question. So I'm not, ex- I'm not expecting a one-point answer. But <laughs> the, especially around families and young people, um, do you have any um, support, supportive ideas or coping mechanisms around young people suffering with anxiety. Mm. And again, I know that's... Because every individual's different and triggers are different. And such. Yeah.
1: I mean, so that's really broad, you know, as yeah. you say. Yeah. And, and you're just being mean now. <laughs> because, you know... I don't you, mean you, to you, be mean. <laughs> I don't mean to be mean. I'm just going to start waffling. It's okay. You know, and to, to
0: stop me if I, I bore up. you. Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Time to stop. But again, like, the, the waffling may... You may waffle for five minutes, but in mm. each each of those seconds and minutes, there might be different nuggets for different people.
1: Yeah, so if if we, you know, what advice might I have for young people today uh, mm. who might be struggling with uh, anxiety, low mood, depression? And I, think,
0: I suppose... I'll give you some context. The yeah. reason why I asked that question is because... The sheer volume of people that we see, mm. and it made me mirroring into your practice and your one-to-one, to su- one support, and, and, and the sessions that you deliver, is that um, young women, the age of eleven to sixteen, seventeen, struggling, overlapping anxiety and confidence, mm-hmm. and I guess we can all point the finger at social media, which is a, a significant impact to that. I believe, in my opinion. Um, I thought let's, let's narrow the the demographic a little bit to mm. 11 to 16 year olds female especially because they're the things that we get a lot of messages about mm. overall mm.
1: Um, interesting that you're asking a man mm. about the experiences of teenage girls
0: I thought your experience with helping families, really well this too, is true, but it,
1: again no lived experience, that's yeah, true um do you
0: know any psychotherapists that are female? Yes, of course. one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's difficult for me to be able to say with any degree of certainty mm. exactly what might be driving some of that. You've you've alluded to some already. Um, I can say with a degree of certainty that um, girls in school from nursery, you know, are yeah, different think- from boys in mm. school. And, um, that plays out, you know, from a very early age, you know, the, the, the interaction and, um, you'll see in, in nurseries or, you know, uh, school clubs or even in reception, you can see at that age that girls are pretty catty, that mm-hmm. they, they, they bicker, they argue, they hold a grudge, right? And that, that plays out over the the years of primary school, you can see it. Okay. Um, I've talked to many girls in in probably uh, sort of juniors, uh, sort of in, in primary schools, year three on, where some of those dynamics between the girls is starting to play out, creates some anxiety, okay. um, social anxiety, um, as it relates to, do I fit into the popular group? Do, do I not mm-hmm. fit into the popular group? This is where you might find um, girls, young girls, who might have neurodiversity uh, presence. Uh, you know, that they don't maybe relate as well to some of the other girls in the class, and so you might start to see some isolation, or you might start to see a little bit of bullying, or just things that you might think are low-level, mm-hmm. and schools might not necessarily pick up on them. Um, and, and that starts to play out straight through primary school. You can see it in most
0: schools. And I think, like, that last two sentences or three sentences, I can think of 10, 15 girls in the last three to four weeks um, that have touched base with us every single thing that you've just said, from neurodiversity to um, isolation, potentially, um, to bullying, to schools not being potentially proactive in the behaviour around supporting that young person, not maybe not having the resources to have people to be on a one-to-one or a group format. So, again, I think I've interrupted to agree with you, um, but I think in your opinion, and again, I know you're not a girl and you're not a teacher and you're, you're in your own space, but what can we do for that specific demographic? Because I think neurodiversity is being not prescribed that's not the right word is being identified a lot more now in young people mm. even though there's a, there's a there's a high volume of in a waiting list perspective but i'm hearing a lot more that young women especially and young men are being um, are finding that they are neurodiverse on mm. whatever level that may be
1: mm. well you know <clears throat> Again, we're moving into mm. sort of a, a different domain, but um, if we think about what, what is neurodiversity, and we break it down, neuro is the brain. Diversity is difference. So it's just about having different brain structure, essentially yeah. a different way of thinking. And um, if, if we think about it in that, that sense, then we can start to try to understand how do people think differently? Mm. And, and if we can understand how someone thinks differently, then we're better able to understand them. And if we're better able to understand them, then we can respond better. Yeah. So in in many of these cases where you've might, you might have um, young people who are, uh, or even children who are behaving, you know, they're not, they're not doing as you ask or... Um, you know, they're, they're sort of getting really upset or outraged by small things,
0: mm.
1: or, you know, they're, they're, they're not really following your direction, or, you, you know, you're getting cross because they're, they're, they're being bloody-minded. <laughs> you know, those might be indications that mm. they're thinking differently. And so you might need to try to get at, well, what is it that you're hearing? What mm. is it that you're thinking? Um, and, and I come across that type of presence or that presentation more and more and more Mm. and more my work now you could argue am I coming across it more and more in my work because I'm now more aware of and alert to that or is it just suddenly in this day and age we're just having more young people who present with neurodiversity yeah I think it's probably the first is that I'm just now more alert to it I know what to look for and that perhaps neurodiversity is more typical than mm. neurotypical.
0: Yeah, when you were describing what neurodiversity was, I think it's, neurodiversity is more typical than typical, mm. which, which I found quite interesting. I mean, Charlotte was actually having that conversation maybe two and a bit weeks ago about that, saying 80% of the people that we know are probably neurodiverse. Mm. So then how do you identify the ones that aren't? because we don't think that way, don't act that way. Mm. We see what we see, which is quite interesting. Yeah, and, and more and more you talk to
1: people, you know, that they'll, they'll do things in a certain way or it needs to be like this. And, you know, we have certain diagnoses for certain neurodevelopmental conditions of which we're talking about in terms of neurodiversity. Um, but if we, if we sort of step back and we simplify it yeah. and we just think about how do people think, we do not need a label. You know, sometimes you do need a label, absolutely. You need to get that done because it might give you additional support or help in other areas. But broadly speaking, if we're just talking about how do we relate to people, Mm. you know, it's it's the thinking. So if we come back to, you know, these young people, these children who who are experiencing anxiety, trying to understand how they're experiencing the world, Mm. how do they think, what are the things that are on their mind? That gives you a way into, you know, how are you thinking about what's happening at school?
0: And I think that's, that's what I've learned in the past maybe 12 months, is how you understand someone is how you react to someone. And I think we're all in our own path, and we've either got our own problems or we're trying to do our own thing or trying to build our own success, whatever that looks like. We forget sometimes that the people beside us or the people around us just need listening to and understanding a little mm. bit more. I think that's be- becoming a dad that's allowed me to slow down a little bit. You? Slow down? <laughs> <laughs> I think I've slowed down a little bit. You might have. Might have you maybe might not have. to the average Joe, Mile I a minute, um, But I feel like I've slowed down. I feel like I've slowed down anyway, Matthew. That's a, do you don't have to agree with me. Uh, but I feel like I've slowed down enough to acknowledge people and be more present mm. and understanding mm. and seeing rather than be in the Craig show. Yeah, I mean, I think when,
1: when you start making assumptions mm. about people based on what you think you know, then you're potentially moving into uh, unhelpful positions. You know, And I think that's where we come back to lived experience. You know, I can make assumptions about people in any walk of life, but I'd be basing that on biases or prejudices, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and I'd I'd form these judgments that might then lead me to make certain conclusions, you know, that that are inaccurate. That can still happen with lived experience, Mm. of course. But it's different in, in the sense that I have to be open-minded enough to be able to ask those questions and not just be led by
0: what I think is the case. So I think, again, we've got to, I think we have got a full circle there, is that do you think helping that specific age demographic, 11 to 17, let's say um, all sexes rather than isolating a a specific gender um, do you think you just need to be understood more and heard more and then get the additional support thereafter around confidence and anxiety
1: it's it's, it's not as simple as that or oh, you it, might say that well, yeah well of course i mean it, i suppose the, the way you've asked that question it implies a linear causality you know almost mm. like it's a b c d and e when it's really more circular causality so there's no start, no end. It, all multifactorial aspects feed into each other. So okay. part of it is definitely going to be, you know, are you listening?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Are you understanding? But then there's going to be more than that. It's it's going to be also about how how are they experiencing the world?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, are people kind to them? You know, or are they uh, are they fearful? you know, what's going on in their lives that might then mean that they have anxieties or worry. And, uh, you know, do they feel like they're not good enough? Right? What about self-worth or self-confidence, self-esteem? That can be diminished on so many levels, you know, and, and, you know, even from a parenting level, you know, it can be very easy to uh, unwittingly or even deliberately undermine child's confidence you know if you've ever said to someone how could you be so stupid would you do that for mm. you know that that feeds into a sense of ah oh, so I'm not I'm not good
0: enough so that can be part of the contribution as well and again saying it once it probably has an effect on some level but again if it's it's repeatedly because you may, be not be, you may not be understood or whatever. And it's just, it's, I think what you're saying is like using your vocabulary around young people is, is obviously extremely important. Mm. Um, and I think just thinking about vocabulary around people, 11 to 16 or beyond that, I guess we don't think about it enough. Mm. Well, words come easy, mm. don't they? But they hurt. Oh yeah,
1: you know, and um sometimes when we when we're upset or something's sort of agitated us, sometimes it feels good to see someone else feel hurt, mm-hmm. which is why sometimes we say things we don't mean. And uh, but they have long-lasting impact. And you know, if we think about um the more you hear you're not good enough or the more you hear that uh you're, you're an awful human being for example the more you'll start to believe it and mm. we started moving into beliefs so uh thinking from my own example of academic experience you know yeah. you're not good enough you're not clever enough you know well, i started to believe that and it's taken me 46 years to to realize actually i'm good at learning and i really enjoy it actually yeah Uh, But that's because we can form these beliefs based on what's around us and what we
0: hear as well. Mm. It's interesting that I'm going to go to my next point if that's okay. I I guess I need to answer it better than this, but Mm. men's mental health Mm. under the titles combining work, lack of money, or struggles with money. And not enough time with family. Mm. And the battles of trying to do all of those things, but never feeling like there's enough in any of them.
1: Mm. So you're talking about sort of two maybe mm. separate things. right? Yeah. One is mental health. Right? And men and mental health. And the other is life. Men and yeah. life. Because all of those things that you've raised are... Issues that men and women will come in contact with you know how do i how do I do the work I need to do? Mm. How does doing the work and earning the money to live allow me time to do the things I want, maybe even be a father you know, so they're, I think they 're separate in, in, in some ways, but they are interconnected, mm. and you can 't really separate them out. I think you alluded to men's mental health and uh how how hard it can be for men when you were talking about Mm -hmm. coming to see me or coming to talk to me and how you had to build up you know sense of yourself to be able to do it um
0: i think i got to a breaking point
1: yeah but even then it took you 45 minutes you know just to pluck up the courage Mm. You know, and, and you know, that, that's no small thing, is it? No. You know, 45 minutes, you know. Um, and that was when you knew you needed to do something. You, you know, there was a reason why you needed to get help. You weren't happy with something, mm. you know. And so I think you have to have a reason why to get help, right? Yeah. For some men, and I, I work with men, uh, as well as women and families and couples and children, oh, you know, work through, you know, all the age range. But uh, some men come and see me because they've got concerns about their mental health, and they'll say, "I have this issue. I'm concerned about it," and that would be like an internal motivator, right? Something mm. within them that says, "I need to sort this out." And other men I'll I'll see and uh, they'll they'll say bluntly to me, I'm not a nice man, not a nice person. You know, I'll be honest, I've got to get this help for court or whatever. And uh, you could call it an external motivator, but still they come to see me. And I still hope they gain something from that, even if it's an external motivator. But I think one of the most important things for men in mental health is to try to move away from some of the social narratives that exist about men. Where are they? Well, one is men don't cry. Right? Ever heard that? Boys don't cry. Men don't feel. Is that true? In fact, probably one of the most uh, acceptable emotions for a man to feel is anger. Right. Men get angry, right? That's how we do. Men get angry. Yeah. Um, but that's it. Men can't cry. They can't feel vulnerable or uh, they can't show people that they're weak mm-hmm. because God forbid what would happen if someone knew that they were human. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's a, social, that's a social narrative. You know, uh, you're the man of the house now. Mm-hmm. You know, or... Man up, right? Don't be a baby. These are things that men have to overcome in terms of some of those social narratives to just get help in the first place. So I think where we start to think about how do we help men to experience vulnerability with others so that they can then feel like actually there's something useful here. We've got to sometimes challenge that.
0: So that's mental health, I guess, overall. Well, yeah. Partly. And I think, to <clears> reference that, um, a few men have reached out, and I'm sure women feel the exact same if they're, in, if they're working and they're not spending time with the kids and they have that maternal element already, and then they're struggling either not working or they're trying to get a job and there's not enough money. Um so referenced reference a few people reached out to us is the fact that they're in a job they don't like, mm. which I've been in that position. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure everyone listening, or I guess everyone potentially in the room has been in that position. They're in a job they don't like, not earning enough money, which obviously is an enabler to diminish positive mental health. They do blend together, I think, Mm. overall. And there's no right or wrong answer. But have you got any advice?
1: You've got to find the right balance, Mm. right? And uh, between work and life. When we talk about work-life balance, but what does that actually mean? And, um, you know, it doesn't mean that you have equal proportion of, I work this much and I do... family life or social life this much because it's not as easy as that sometimes mm. you have competing priorities can com- competing demands you have to be able to meet those mm. demands depending on what the circumstances are you know you need money you might have to get two jobs you know that's not really going to give you much chance to have a life is it yeah you know and what life you do have you're probably exhausted and tired and you know, what What good are you anyway? The last thing you need mm-hmm. to come home to is demanding children and asking for time with you when actually what you need is just to have a bit of a break. Yeah. You know, and that can then lead to sort of expressions of, you know, oh, just leave me alone or whatever else, and it can lead on to all sorts of different things. Um, but we move, I suppose, into um, well-being, mm-hmm. you know, mental health and well-being. What, what is that? And I think there's there's different parts to it. Um, we have uh, mental health, you know, and, and mental health is not mental illness. Let's not confuse mental health with, you know, diagnoses like depression or, mm. uh, you know, generalized anxiety. Uh, you know, these are, these are mental health conditions, you could argue, they're illnesses or, or diagnostic
0: yeah.
1: uh, labels. Um, so you've got mental health and then you've got psychological health, which is, you know, how you're thinking, you know, how you're feeling about yourself. Uh, and then we've got social health. And I think those three domains are really important when we think about how do you help people manage competing demands mm. across a variety of different areas. And I think if, if you can start moving into one or two or all three of those, then you start to find that you can create... The right work-life balance.
0: Okay, I think that's clear enough.
1: Well, I've got this wheel of well-being in front of you, and in front of me. And
0: uh, Jordan will put a diagram of it. Yeah, and we'll put a link to. Is
1: this on the website?
0: Uh, or is it like? No, hidden? this isn't. No, this but is a, hidden.
1: Well, it's not. Well, it's not hidden now, is it? No, it's I mean, not. It's right in front of you. Smart ass. <laughs> so okay. if you look at it, so, you know, you've got mental health, psychological health, and social health. And uh, how do we improve mental health? Well, it's, it, there's different parts to it. Mm. One is like, you know, even if you don't have the life that you want, can you be content? Because right? contentment isn't the same as being happy. Unhappiness, mm. I feel, is a state of mind rather than
0: necessarily an emotion. Can I tell you what I think happiness is to me? It's quite unique, Mm -hmm. but I think people get it a lot. So happiness to me is arriving at the hotel on holiday and you walk into the reception and it's a nice hotel. So Mm. you get given a a glass of Bellini or a glass of champagne and you drop your bags and I've experienced this specifically. So this is why it's so much happiness to me. You walk out and the doors open and the sun's beaming on your face. And you take your first sip of Seco or whatever it is, you're like, oh, that lasts probably seven seconds. And then Charlotte shouts, can I get Billy's on the palm tree? (laughs) (laughs) So then happiness goes, but I am content because I'm around my family. Mm. I'm going to spend time with them. I'm going to be present with them. But I think we ask a lot of people, I know we're going off topic slightly, but, um, I ask people what's the ambition, what's the goal, what's your objective? Either that be physical, mental, emotional health. 99.99% always say I wanna be happy. Mm. But my belief system is that happiness is a tiny proportion of your entire life. Mm. Because as you say, happy is not content. We can be content and I think as I say, Happiness for me is seven seconds walking out with a baleen. Mm. I'm like, oh.
1: Yeah, happiness is fleeting. Yes. I agree. Yeah. Um, and, that, and I think that's where contentment is really important because we may not have everything we want or even everything that we need, but can we be content with what we have?
0: Mm. That that overflows to the gratefulness then or gratitude as Well, it.
1: yeah. So So, you know, if we think about what is contentment, well... I think we have to be mindful of ourselves and our needs. You know, we, 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 we need to think about, you know, our, our needs being met. You know, what are our needs? You know, do you need to be, uh, you know, given space? Do you need to have time to think? Hmm. Do, you, do you need someone to tell you that they're thinking of you?
0: So these aren't like physical needs, no, these are like needs.
1: these are like the 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 needs that you have to feel. I don't know if fulfillment is necessarily the word, but the needs that you have to feel secure. Okay, right, like safe. Yes, and uh, because that's really you know a cornerstone of uh, being resilient or being able to overcome. Uh, difficulties is knowing that there is a sense of security within yourself. You mm. know, and in order to get there, you have to just be aware and be mindful of of things. But that might also include mindfulness. You know, being able to let go of all the stuff that's happening, and just let it drift away, so that you can just be grounded and centered in yourself. And I know that you know that's that's something that mm. you guys do. Uh, whether that's mindfulness sessions or whether that's yoga or whatever. Being mindful of yourself, thinking about how do I feel in myself.
0: And I think a lot of people underestimate that broadly unless you are, say, forced to do it. Mm. And I use that word specifically because who's doing sessions in Liverpool over the last few weeks and no one is actively trying to be mindful Mm. it's hard though it's hard
1: it's hard i mean you know be mindful let's do some mindfulness and it's like what What? are you kidding me really Mm. so you expect me to close my eyes in front of you and just do some meditation really so i think there's there's a lot of doubt that comes along with that a lot of vulnerability comes with being in a space where you're invited to do something plus it doesn't work that's going to be the first yeah. thing that most people say, because initially, it doesn't work, because you have to learn how to be mindful, mm. and it's a process, and you have to work at it. I remember I was I was at this training once, and uh, I think the, the 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 presenter was he was some guru on on mindfulness or whatever, and you know I I hadn't gone there to talk about or hear about mindfulness. I'd gone there to hear about sort of like systemic psychotherapy, you know, (laughs) know, what's he got on this? But he was, you know, he did some mindfulness. So someone said, oh, you know, could you, could you do some mindfulness? Can we do some mindfulness? And he's like, yeah, (laughs) let's do that. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? (laughs) So he's like, right. I'd like everyone just to sort of get comfortable and close your eyes. And I thought, I'm not doing that. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> i right? like,
1: nope, nope. Because for me, doing that in front of a group of people, I didn't know, you know, what if I close my eyes and someone's nicks my back, right?
0: <laughs> so you might dramatic. be like, wow, you're so paranoid, Matthew. Yeah, but, that is quite you know, dramatic. What, what,
1: what, if, what if, you know, people are looking at me and, and I don't feel comfortable, mm. you know, I felt vulnerable, you know, well, why am I going to willfully do something that makes me feel vulnerable? So you have to overcome that. You have to overcome that experience of, you know, this is something that feels dangerous. And think about it in terms of how can this be useful to me? Mm. So it took me some time, uh, some years to to move on from that. And um, I remember I was doing some mindfulness with someone and uh, he's like, close your eyes. And I said, no. And he said, all right, don't close your eyes. And I thought, oh. I can do this my way. Hmm. So I just looked at a fixed point on the wall behind him and just focused on that and just did everything that he guided me through. And I thought, wow.
0: And I think like, that's very, I say traditional, that's probably the wrong way, but it's a very traditional way of being mindful is close your eyes, breath work. You say clear your mind and some um, guided meditations. And I think someone... Way my brain thinks and a lot of people I know it's hard to clear the mind, especially mm. either if you're new to it or even experienced in mindfulness. But I think from my point of view, meditation or mindfulness can come in lots of different states. So then when I'm either doing Thai boxing or boxing, or I'm doing a long run or I'm doing a long row, Sam's gonna laugh at me because I never do a long row, um, or do something quite methodical, mm. but high intensity. Yes. I have an element of mindfulness as well.
1: I think you can make a cup of tea and be mindful. Mm. I think you can do... I think that, that methodological, methodology... Whatever the word that was yeah. that you said. Um, doing it in a way that means you're focused on doing that task, that can be mindful. You know, if, okay. if, you, if you're focused on something for a period of time and, and you're so focused on that thing that you're not thinking about anything else mm. that's mindful okay and i think you can you know uh, you can find moments of mindfulness without necessarily looking hard you don't have to do that whole breath work or guided imagery you don't have to buy yoga you don't have, have to, have to. do you can be mindful as you make a cup of tea just think clearly about each sequential step and what you're doing when you're doing it and notice what it feels like have you ever had a mindful cup of tea
0: no it's amazing so i was speaking about hopefully having little gems of and golden wisdom there's one order there's one. that everyone have a what is it called a, mind a mindful, mindful cup, cup of, of tea. tea and what is the process of that so
1: well the first well, yeah, I mean, you could, you could go from start to finish, or it could just be if someone gives you a cup of tea, right? Mm-hmm. So if, if we start from the beginning of making a cup of tea, right, the first thing that you're going to do is probably fill the kettle. Or maybe it's get a mug and a spoon, or maybe it's put the tea back. Everything that you do, just think about it. Just, think about, just think about the action, what it feels like. What does the mug feel like when you take it out of the cupboard? Hmm. does it feel hard does it feel cold right just consciously make an effort to notice really important okay so as you go through the sequence of doing that that can be really soothing because you are just focused on that thing and only that thing if something pops in your head you start thinking about a worry forget that you're making a cup of tea
0: focus Hmm. on the cup of tea but um i think you're aware of and I'm going. To, I'm, I'm trying to mention it on every podcast. Is that we're building um, a health and wellbeing app, aren't we? And it's going to be in as many countries as possible, and accessed by as many people as possible for free. Mm. And I think that's you've given me an idea now. Is that either here or somewhere, just create content around making a mindful cup of tea as a as a, as a as a session, mm. as a as an activity. Um, because I think even in my world, in my brain, I think listening to that, I over always overcomplicate it. For me, personally, not anybody else. But if i am not got my yoga mat and I'm not sitting outside and it's freezing, because I like to do it in that, in that sense, um, or I'm not in the yoga room upstairs, then I can't be mindful. And I've, I've learned then that you can't be mindful in any given situation. And, you know, sometimes
1: you might be under the the pressure of work or whatever else. And, you know, everything's rushing and busy. You can take time out without taking Mm -hmm. time out. Just doing normal everyday things, but just thinking about them, allowing that to to happen. One of the most important things I think about a mindful cup of tea is when you start to drink that cup of tea. Mm.
0: right it already tastes nicer already I haven't even well, tasted well
1: you know for me the 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 thing that was most remarkable was when you, you know you're drinking your cup of tea and you're like oh that's a nice cup of tea hopefully it's mm. a nice cup. hopefully tea. if it's not you might be like oh it's a terrible cup of tea shit but- <laughs> this man from this cup of tea but as you as you drink it you know what you might find it's too hot you might be like oh mm. that's really but as, as time passes and, and the tea cools, you know, you, you start to feel maybe the heat in the mug. You know, you're like, oh, that's nice and warm. I really feel the heat in that. The bit for me that I was shocked by, you know, and this is something that you do every day, was the bit where you're halfway through the cup of tea mm-hmm. and half the mug is hot and half the mug is cold.
0: I'm going to make a cup of tea after, and I'll be like, yeah. Yeah, you <laughs> like, know what I mean? we <laughs> enjoying, making bruises. after. Suddenly
1: you it's it's not something you notice. You don't ever really, and if you do mm-hmm. notice it, you just pass it off as whatever. You don't think about it. Mm. But when you're focused on it, you start to notice things that you had never noticed before.
0: And I guess that, I'm not, I don't want to say guess, I think it'd be good to get the answer, if there's an answer, is that, doing a, a mindfulness cup of tea, what is that helping you overall around emotional and mental regulation, thought processes, I guess? What is slows things down? Yeah.
1: It slows things down. Um, is it going to make your life better? No. You know, wouldn't it be great though mm. if it could? But you know, if someone gives you a cup of tea, that's a gesture. That has meaning wrapped up in it. So if someone gives you a cup of tea, it's like almost a signal to just kind of relax. You know, take, take some time off. Mm-hmm. Tea breaks. What do we do in tea break? We just chat. We talk. We down tools. And we just talk about whatever, you know. So the whole process of having a cup of tea, I think, is, is one that, that can be you know, really enabling for a, a moment of peacefulness. Right, where you can just kind of rest and just not focus on anything else, and if you're being looked after. Yeah. yeah. So I think in, in in a way, it's like the more you have moments like that, the more likely you'll start to feel content with mm-hmm. what you have, because do you know what, you're just finding time for you, and that's so important. You know, if yeah. if you're finding time for you, and you start to think about where am I in all this, I'm having a cup of tea. Notice noticing things, your mind might wander, but you might start to think about, well, what am I appreciative
0: of today? What's mm. going well? I say It just slows you down overall, doesn't it? Which is the, the purpose of mindfulness yeah. ultimately overall. You, ever, you must have heard of David Goggins. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not saying I learned it from him, but I did it a long time ago, learning how to develop my own well-being overall by punishing the physical that makes sense kind of self-harming in a way i don't know what the line is on that well self flagellation is oh, an, an a old big
1: word. term yeah self. and flagellation <laughs> that's dream. yeah it is flagellation 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 yeah. what does this that was, mean this was back in what you know the, the dark times the, mm. you know the middle ages um and self-flagellation was a form of uh um being able to assuage one's sins, one could say. And, okay. and People would often take a whip and they'd beat themselves and they'd sort of mm. self-flagellate to, you know, sort of, I don't know, process the whole experience of uh, I'm a sinner. Um, mm. But the idea of harming oneself to, you know, overcome, you know, or to, to just get through difficult times is not an unfamiliar one. Yeah, Um, and I I suppose I make the distinction between that and self-harm because self-harm, while it is harming oneself, there's a different process. There's a positive
0: impact that comes Mm. out the other way. What was it? Self-flagellation. Flagellation. Flagellation. I would say that terminology, but I've never heard of it before, Mm. and I think it's quite a tricky word to say anyway. Mm. So um, I think we, we were speaking about the challenge on your fundraising event was going up the hill, having a dicky back, expecting your legs to give in, changing uh, gears, the bike skids, and you're like, fuck, got to get off the bike, push it, where you'd expected more of the fatigue to, mm. sp- to 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 stop you in your tracks potentially. But not that you did stop, but it was more around the brain talking and taking over rather than the body doing it. And then I was referencing that um, from my point of view, everything I've done probably since 2014 since I decided to stop being a dickhead in my world, was to use self-flagellation. Mm. Mm. I'm going to say that everywhere on my social media now. Self-flagellation to improve. Mm. And I did a session, what day we're on now? It's Saturday? Saturday on Thursday, I did an hour and a half of Thai boxing um so that's two minutes on the bag, three minutes on the bag uh, 45 Mm -hmm. seconds off continuous for an hour and a half um if you ever try to do a minute on the bag you know how hard that is to intensify um i put on a jumper woolly hat um just to keep the heat in Mm -hmm. your body can keep going i believe Mm -hmm. if you've got enough endurance um Obviously, you have to build up to that. But after 20 minutes, the, the, the mind saying, have a drink of water. Mm. Oh yeah, I wasn't drinking any water in this mm. time frame either. That's another thing. Um, have some water. No one knows that you're not allowed to drink any water. Mm. Um, Sam or Andy was in here. They don't know that you've said in your mind, you're not allowed any water. Just take some water. No one else knows you've, you've said that you're going to train for an hour and a half. Just do an half an hour. Just yeah. do an hour. Yeah. So the it, brain decides to fail before it, the body. Well it
1: does. And, you know, you talk about mental strength. You mm. know, that's so important with any, with any exercise in, in, in that way. Um, and uh, oftentimes, you know, the body can, can, can keep going. Mm. But it's the mental battle that you have
0: to overcome. Do you feel? Do you, sorry to interrupt, do you feel better that you finished it and you overcome those mental battles during oh, the process? Oh yeah, I didn't, feel I like didn't overcome effort? them. I didn't get. I didn't succumb to them. though. Yes.
1: I, I pushed through. You know, um, and uh, thankfully, someone had some uh, heat gel. Much <laughs> <For your back. laughs> like. So, oh man, that's amazing! It Took the pain away. Rub it in.
0: <laughs> Just a bit of context to that as well as that you did. Um, what did you do again for your fundraising? Because we, yeah, we was not record. Yeah, it was
1: a three-mile canoe in a four-person canoe, which is two canoes tied together. Mm. Uh, it was a 22-mile bike ride uh, through the mountains and uh, five and a half-mile walk up a mountain. Um, so it was an endurance event yes. overall, and and just that um, the fatigue. You know, it, it's tough. You have to push through. But I think in in the same way you describe. Um, you know, having to push through your brain, telling you to give up, you know, just get some water, mm, you know, um, I think, you know, marathon runners, I think mm. endurance people, you know, these are, this is, this is part of the mental battle you have to overcome. Um, and again, it's well documented, you know, your, your brain wants you to give up and you have to push through that mm. and, and it's hard. Um, I've encountered that as well. I used to like running up hills and your brain's like, stop. Yeah. you're like no I've got to keep going one more step no no look it's so much higher you, you can't go that far you just have to keep going in it the, the the mental battle I think it's very similar to overcoming anxiety or mm-hmm. overcoming when your brain is telling you things that are really unhelpful is you have to develop a, a mental fortitude a mental strength to resist that critical self if you've ever had a critical self where your brain tells you or you, that voice in your head tells you you know good give up hmm. you know you have to develop a, a way of silencing or turning the volume down on on that that voice uh, and so you know, i was going to say it's just really an important part to the whole process and and i think it works well with what you're talking about
0: and i think it's it's easier, this is me speaking, I can't speak for everyone else who we support or anybody else who's listening, is that, is that I found it easier to shut down those conversations of negative thoughts, whatever that may be, or negative actions, more reportedly in my world, is that is that, and it's easier to build further mental strength by seeing the evidence of success that you've done in the past. So when when I first started exercising, when I was like, what, 11, 10? I couldn't do an hour and a half of Thai boxing because, one, I didn't know how to do Thai boxing. Two, my lung capacity wasn't as big as it is now. Three, I didn't know where the gym was. Four, I didn't have money. So the idea that you, there's a stepping stone to success, and I think that's also around evidence to what you can achieve, then, which reduces anxiety, which then reduces the ability to have self-doubt because you've got all this evidence here. Of how much you've actually achieved year to date. I'm now 33, how much I've done in the past 33 years. That in my belief system, it's going to sound cocky and all the rest of that. I don't believe there's nothing I can't achieve because what I've achieved so far, I'm just going through a certain process to get to where I need to get to. Mm. Either that be physically, either that be mentally, either that be with Billy. Either that be with the organization, relationship with Charlotte, whatever the situation or whatever the challenge is. I know because of the evidence, I'll be able to achieve that. Mm.
1: Well, I, I, I believe we mm-hmm. can continually improve. Mm-hmm. You know, if you ever think, that's it, I'm good enough. Well, you've kind of given up then, haven't you?
0: That's a dangerous space to be in, isn't it? Oh, I, think. I think,
1: yeah. So if you, if you take the, 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 the stance that it doesn't matter how good or how great I am at this or that, I can always be better, mm. always be better. I think that's a great mindset to adopt, to have. And uh, it, gives you, it can give you the motivation to keep trying. Keep making an effort, mm.
0: not be comfortable.
1: Yeah. Comfortable and and so if, if, you, if you fail, so what? Yeah. Try again. You're laying right. so long the way, Exactly.
0: I think I'm just going to reference this point because we we kind of very briefly touched upon it, didn't we? And I'll give it a quick show and tell again. And Jordan will have a some sort of logo somewhere of it. Is that there's lots to it. And we've probably touched upon a 10th or 11th of it. Is there anything, spe- I know it all kind of complements each other. Is there anything specifically that you think is taken over society? Mm-hmm. Specifically, well, I know it, it all kind of interlinks. Uh, I know that. So,
1: you know, what we're talking about in in this moment, what you were talking about in in the sense of, uh, you know, self improvement and that drive to continue to build and noticing what you've accomplished or what you've achieved. You know, just in those small gains that you might make.
0: Mm.
1: You know, one day uh, I, I I couldn't run half a mile, and the next day I I can run half a mile it's Mm -hmm. like wow okay i've achieved something you know i've gone from not being able to run at all to being able to run 5k amazing you know these are the cornerstones for that sense of self-worth which is fundamentally Mm. important to self-esteem which if we think about it in terms of the 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 wheel of well-being is is about psychological health Mm. you have to be able to recognize what your worth is and you know one of the difficulties that we encounter today with social media is that we measure our worth based on other people other like,
0: people's success. It's comparative or visuals.
1: I see you on social media, and I think, "Oh wow, look what you've got. Mm. I think, look how many friends or likes you've got. I must try harder to get more friends, more likes." And and the problem with that then becomes that we are driven to achieve something that's potentially nondescript, you know. What does it actually mean that, Mm. you know, you've got all these amazing things that people see? What about the people that don't have that?
0: And I think you said then is that, touching on social media, and I thought of the opposite, is that you said, I must do more, I must post more or whatever, there's a, there's a big category of people that don't have that resilience, mm. don't have that, I can, I must, I want. They may say I want, but they don't have the, the mindset, the strength, the ability, the, the creativity, I don't know, to get to those things. And then that's when, um, in my opinion, um, social media mm. can be a curse, potentially.
1: Well, I think it can. It's,
0: it's wrapped up in a number
1: of different things. So, if we think about the, the the you know what what is social media? It's it's about visibility. It's about seeing something of someone, mm-hmm. um, and and that seeing something of that someone is what other people want you to see. So, selective. yeah, selective. It's like this is this is a, a, a representation of me that that I'm happy with. and I've, I've, you know, had friends who are going through awful things in their life, awful things in their life, bad times, you know, and and they're on uh, a preface, you know, feeling like life is hard. It's awful. And yet on social media, they're having a great time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not representative. And the problem is, is that if you're looking at social media and you think this is accurate, that this is real, then you start to feel like, well, why am I not? as happy as they are. Why are they doing this? Or I have to work harder at making people recognise me for my worth. But it's it's an emptiness because you're constantly striving for something that isn't real.
0: And I can totally agree with that. I think we've built and I've built and my team have built our success based on social media. But our reach is, uh, is amazing what we, what we reach now. Um, but I haven't posted on rage fitness, so I have to sworn not a lie um I didn't post for maybe seventeen hours. <clears throat> we normally post every three to four um and i i I promote positivity i promote. i promote motivation i promote success camaraderie for a better word um it's about helping the people around, the showcasing what people have done, so then you can do it. That's what I try and do. Um, my personal business, social media, um, Craig underscore Brown underscore wellbeing, um, is about mostly Billy now, because that's my passion, ultimately. Don't get me wrong, I do the odd training session here and reshare stuff from Rage. But even in 17 hours of a window, I'm like, oh haven't posted. Mm. Um, Our engagements will be lower. Our Mm. social media reach will be lower. Our analytics will be lower. The other Matthew that I think you may have met, um, he'll be like, Greg, analytics are dropping. So even at my position now, and I'm not saying I'm the bee's knees and I've got it all figured out because I haven't, but at the level that we are at now from where we was five years ago, yes, we've created the success, but the success isn't guaranteed in the future. Mm. So you have to, in my opinion, you have to constantly create more content to be present and be relevant, and yeah. that's a hard balance. And,
1: you know, social media has its place. Mm. You know, there's, there's no doubt of that whatsoever. You know, there can be some very productive things that come from it, as, as you're talking about. But where we've got um, exposure to content that um, other people say you know, this is what you should be doing, or this is what you should be thinking, or whatever. Mm. Um, You know, it's potentially unsupervised to to some extent. So you've got children as young as 11, even younger than that, 10 watching TikTok videos. Some are okay, some are not okay. There's an age limit, you know. So if we think about the fact that something seemingly fun and enjoyable is actually potentially quite harmful. You know what? What are children learning? And I was talking to someone recently, a sixteen-year-old, and he was telling me all about his uh, presentation, the things that he he was struggling with, and what this meant. And mm. he was convinced that he had an eating disorder. And I asked him, "What? What do you mean? You know, what are the things you you're, you're looking at that tell you that you've got an eating disorder?" And he listed off something a number of things very knowingly. And I said, they were all wrong, by the way. <laughs> and, and, and I said, that's interesting. I said, where have you got that information from? And mm. he sort of sheepishly uh, smiled and said, TikTok. And I said, I thought you might have got it from TikTok because it was fundamentally wrong.
0: Mm.
1: There, was, there was nothing accurate about anything that he had said. So we hear a lot about how uh, there's people talking about this and that on social media. And it's like, yeah, great. But how do we know it's true? How do we know it's accurate?
0: Factual and helpful, ultimately. We don't know. We don't.
1: There's other resources for identifying mental health support or things that can be useful. But I think, you know, for, for, if we come back to that idea about what do we do about all these young girls, you know, 11 to 17, mm. you know, well, social media is not a helpful platform. Because you've got all these people who are taking selfies that looking beautiful and wonderful and they're amazing. There's influencers, there's people who are using social media as a form of work to some extent. And it's really hard not to get drawn into that. I've talked to many people who've come to me and and have said one of the problems in my life is social media. It's causing anxiety. It's Mm. causing stress. And you say, well, why are you on it? You know, oh, well, it's just everyone's doing it. It's like, yeah, it's hard. But how, those same people or even other people have said, you know, do you know what's made a difference in my life is getting rid of social
0: media. And I think it depends on the algorithm and the things that you're liking,
1: mm-hmm. isn't it? And I
0: think <clears throat> not every young girl is the same as, in, as, as the next door neighbor young girl. So I would say a certain amount of the content Exploit young people and makes them think differently about themselves as you say then they go into work and they they take certain photos and certain videos which i guess anyone under the age of 18 shouldn't be watching because that's their that's their base basis of society this is how they get likes this is how they do this, this is mm. how they do that that's the negative from a, from a young female's perspective then you can go down another route and you can find men online that or derogatory to women mm. and oh yeah he's the man mm. I should like him Thirteen, 14 15 6 year old to engaging in that behavior and think it's okay to do so and yet we've we've heard from mums and and dads about their daughter being exp- not exploited being um exposed and bullied in, in classroom mm. environments and social settings absolutely and, and if you if you if you if you watch it back well, you, you, you track it back and you map it back you can see where it comes from mm. so i think on the wheel i'm going to find it i think you touched point about it that being around self-esteem mm. i think
1: minimizing exposure to unhelpful
0: content mm. unhelpful content yeah yeah
1: and and we'll define unhelpful well it's going to be an individual basis you know, for someone who, you know, doesn't feel great about themselves, then comparing themselves to people who look beautiful, you know, and I use that in inverted commas, you know, mm. because it, you know, beauty's not out of, out of the beholder, but, you know, it's like, look, I'm, I'm you know, I've just woken up from a, a nap. It's like, oh, wow, oh, yeah. you, know, you look stunning. That's but amazing. But your eyebrows you, tattooed on and everything, love. You sleep like that? Wow, that's brilliant. I you woke know, up like, like
0: this. I understand that as well, yeah. Like it's, and again, it's like you said, it's what people want you to see mm. so it's all created the creators and I think from a young man's perspective it, sometimes you just don't comprehend that so then that comes down into this section of self esteem
1: yeah but then you've also got like the whole social norms thing everyone mm. else is doing it so let's just say yeah, you know true. you say to your young people look um, you should you should stop Viewing these things. Mm. You know. Everybody else is doing it. Everybody else is talking about it. Have you seen this? They're sharing videos. They're doing this. It's very difficult to compete with. Very difficult. And, and so I suppose it's that. That's where the resilience. Like, you know, well, how do you help an individual make their own decisions about what's good for them mm. and what's not good for them? You know, is it okay for you to be trying to, Get as many likes as possible. Is that actually good for you? Or is that actually causing you more bother? Is it causing you more stress?
0: It's creating more health issues yeah. across if the board, if it's causing really.
1: you more stress, mm. it's probably not good to do. So can you minimise it? Maybe not just get rid of it, but can you minimise that?
0: From my perspective, I'm going to outsource it now. So I don't have to worry about it, mm. which is good for me, because then I don't have to, when Billy's sitting there playing with his box or throwing his apple everywhere, which I'd rather play with, rather than going on my phone and doing social media, Charlotte mm. said to me this for weeks now. Get someone else to do it. Let them create the content. Let mm. them do the posting, and you can spend time with Billy.
1: Yeah. Which Focus on the things that are important mm. in your life, right? So if we think about where does that fit in, in the, the wheel of well-being, that would be home, right? I, that would be family, right? What's not important when you're at home with your son? Mm. Content. Content. Generation. Bottom on pictures online. Yeah. It's not important, is it? No. That might be, that might fall into the work mm. side of things. So you've got to get the right balance. If you're doing work at home when, and you're not working from home or, you know, you, you, you might have things you have to do, but can you put them down if it means going and seeing Johnny's football match? Yeah. You know, well, I'm too busy, can't do it. Is that true? Or are you just putting those barriers in place? It may be true. I've got a deadline. Okay. Mm. That prioritising needs to happen. Sometimes work has to take priority. But do you take time back?
0: I think from my perspective, I'm, I, say, I think I may have said this before publicly, but I've definitely said it to lots of people offline, is that the position I'm in now with Billy... Not many men are in that situation. I'd say it's probably 50-50 splits of the time in the weekend with Billy and 50% of them at work. So people are 90% at work and 10% at home. And when they get home, they just want 10 minutes peace. Mm. And then that creates that turmoil within the family, like you haven't been here all day, blah, mm. blah, blah. And then really they're spending 5% time with the kids because they're just... From an energy perspective, they just don't Mm -hmm. have that energy,
1: or they come home and and they need five minutes, ten minutes peace, and they don't get it, and so then they spend the next four hours in states of conflict. Hmm. Whereas if they'd had that ten minutes of peace, would that have made a difference?
0: Now they can do the um, mindful mindful cup of tea. Well, there's that. Do you come and do that?
1: You you might need to negotiate. Actually, when I come home, I just need Need ten minutes just to collect my thoughts, just to switch yeah. gear, to come back so I can be the me I want to be at home.
0: Is this the five by five part of the five by five? No, that's a different... So that's a different thing.
1: That's a different thing. I'm glad but,
0: they brought it up though.
1: Yeah, so the five by five model is uh, it's a consultation framework uh, that I use when I'm working with organisations. And uh, it stems from a lot of the ideas that I use when I'm working with people,
0: Mm.
1: people to people, people are people at work or at home. And if we think about organizations, you know, well, they're made up of people, right? That's the greatest resource that any organization has are the people, the relationships that exist at work. You, you reference, oh, I hate work. You know, people saying, oh, you know, what do I do when I'm in a job I don't love? Well, why don't you love the job? Is it that it, you're just not well-suited for the job? Hmm. Is it that you found your way into a job that actually I had to do it, so now I'm stuck? No, you there. In which case, you might need to try to change jobs, or is it that actually work is just not an enjoyable place? So the 5 by 5 model... Um, is is based on the work of Patrick Lencioni, who uh, wrote about five dysfunctions of a team. Um, and, uh, you know, these are really common. You'll find them, I would expect, in any work context.
0: We've gone through the five-by-five, five, haven't yeah. we? So, yeah. And and it,
1: I, you know, so, so, in terms of going through it, you know, uh, is, is Rage Fitness and Wellbeing Company dysfunctional no Mm -hmm. do you have to be dysfunctional to use the five by five Mm -hmm. no but the five dysfunctions that there are often present so there's an absence of trust right you can think that that could be an absence of trust between people or it could be an absence of trust within the organization that you don't really trust you know the the your leaders Mm -hmm. to do what they say they're going to do might say they're going to do something but they might do something else there might be an absence of trust there might be a fear of conflict where I can't say what I want to say because if I do you'll shoot me down or you'll tell me I'm an idiot or stupid you might diminish me you might devalue me Mm. in fact it doesn't really matter because whenever I say something no one ever listens anyway so fear of conflict can sometimes prevent achievement of being the best you can be, you know, just as so can a lack of trust. If you have a, a, a lack of commitment, hmm. right? Well, why might you have a lack of commitment? Well, I'm not bothered about the job. You know, why aren't you bothered about the job? Well, you know, it's not going nowhere. No one listens to me. Can't say anything. Just not motivated. You know, that can be a big issue in in any team. it be a big issue in any family, hmm. you know, What about an absence of accountability that, you know, if you do something and it doesn't go well, are you held accountable? If you do something well and you achieve something, are you given credit? If there's an avoidance of accountability, then you can get a real sense of drift. And and the final uh, dysfunction of a team um, is uh, sort of not being focused on a goal sort of inattention to results if you're not paying attention to what results you're getting what's the
0: point i think out of everything, um when we went through i say we go through the five by five i think you're always going Mm. (coughs) going through the five by five so i don't think it's just done the program done the course done the consultation done the feedback forms and you're done because i'm still working on strategy mm. every day. I'm still trying to share updates and goals every day. I say every day, probably once a week. <laughs> 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 but it, what what we did out of all those dysfunctions, I think the goals was the biggest thing that people just wasn't aware of because it's all up in the brain. For me, didn't share the ambitions. I think people could Potentially guess one thing that I was probably trying to do, mm. or as a collective I was trying to do. Um, but from just from from I guess a testimonial, if anybody watching who's thinking or debating to do it is is one do it because the in, the amount of information you get out of it, and it, we we were quite a, a trusted group of people anyway. I think, but I think what I got out of it was that I felt like the trust improved even more so because mm-hmm. we shared the goals, we shared the ambitions. There's probably weekly or bi-weekly WhatsApps about what we've achieved, what we're trying to achieve, which then helps the teams to then deliver the plan, support, education, one-to-ones, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I just wanted to say how, how valuable we found it. Mm-hmm. And we're still working on it now. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, it, it's, it's
1: designed to be an ongoing process that mm-hmm. you don't just do it. You know, it becomes yeah. part of the organization. It's, it's a way so. of working. And to the, the, other, the other five, to the five dysfunctions are the five essential functions. Like if, you, if, you, if you want to be working well or being high-performing, You need to be able to have uh, an organizational culture that fits, you know, you have to have an intentional culture, not an unintentional culture, because an unintentional culture, one is often one that can lead to your five Mm. dysfunctions. You need to have psychological safety, because if you can't speak openly and can't trust your colleagues, why would you ever have commitment Mm. or motivation? Your team needs to be aligned to your vision and your mission. And what's the whole point? Why are we here? Because if you're not clear about your purpose, why are you not going to be motivated? Why, why would you be? Mm -hmm. And uh, within that, you also need to define your structure that best suits whatever your task is, whatever your project is. You need to have uh, a structure that accommodates the flexibility or agility Hmm. It's not just this hierarchical top-down process, but it's about how can we be responsive to any changes that might be coming so we can be more effective together. Of course, there's the focus on goal setting. And all five of those five essential functions work together to address all of the five dysfunctions. dysfunctions. And I think it's quite a dynamic model in the sense that you can use it as you need to use it. Whatever you're working on, you will always be working on all the other five essential functions.
0: I, and again I think from the the five essential what's it called? Five essential team functions. Team functions. Um was ours the highest rated? I don't think that's the right way of saying, it. I don't know. Was it uh, psychological safety, if I remember rightly? Mm. From a team's perspective, our team felt very safe. They felt they felt very supported. And I, I thought that would be high, but I think everyone really, from, a, from the forms that they fill in, um, raised it quite highly, which from what we do and what we're trying to support mm. people with, it was quite rewarding to see it on paper because, again, we didn't know what people said or who mm. said it. They could have said anything. And obviously there's some surprises. the psychological safety and remember it being spiked Mm. in that area yeah it was that from that diagram
1: it was by far the one thing that everyone said felt good is you know what we can say what we think Mm. you know we, we are able to speak openly um and we know that that you know even though craig's got a foul mouth and (laughs) you know that he he calls people names and and whips them into shape that actually you can still say what you think um Mm. the area that that the team almost resolutely Mm. or agreed wasn't as as good as it could be was knowing where are we going Mm. what what are we doing and that sense of we're not really clear on what are the goals that we're trying to achieve together. Yeah. And as you said before, it's because you,
0: you held everything in your head. It was all up there. I think I've shared, uh, I'll say 75%, that's a lie. Mm. <laughs> I think I've shared 50% maybe, maybe less, 45%. Getting better. Getting better, but it, <laughs> it's 45% more than what we'd started with. And that was when April, June every march April May was it april, oh may? gosh um it was this year i think it was april, april. april yeah so what we are now april may june july august we've made progress mm. um is it again this is why i keep saying you don't just go through it you continually improve um i think we've still got a long way to go around goals ambitions where we're going mm. i think if anything all the other elements have improved, especially psychological safety, with a lot of things that have gone on in the organization, the support that we've had for everyone. Um but I thought I'd bring the five by five up just because I I, I think it's invaluable mm. for what we did. And if there's any organizations that I share this on LinkedIn as well as um TikTok and the you note know, every business is on every social media platform now. Um I think it'd be good to try and speak about that as much as possible. To so then we'll put your um, the hyperlink of the website there so people can access it also because I think it's brilliant um, and that's probably an understatement because mm. I know it's far more than brilliant <laughs> to be honest <laughs> oh you're so kind I'm not really selling it but go and look at the website
1: I was on holiday just recently and uh, I was saying to you before that uh, you know I'd found it a little bit stressful
0: or tough mm.
1: you know And, um, it wasn't until the end of the holiday, like the night before we were going, (laughs) right. And we had a long flight. It wasn't until the the end of the holiday that, uh, I was just overloaded. Mm. So I snapped at my mum, but it wasn't just snapping at my mum. (gasps) I know it was terrible. It really was terrible. Um, I don't know what it was what what was said or what I it was it's a it's a haze, but I knew that we had an argument. We also had an argument in front of the entire family. It mm. was not good. No. And I was dissatisfied with that. And, you know, I had to think about it, I had to reflect. There was a lot of stress that had happened earlier in the week, some difficulties with my daughter, and you mm. know, just like Things we're not going to plan and, you know, where you, you, you've you got like a time scale to order food, mm-hmm. you know, and so you do I know it, that you're do. ordering two-year-old. your foods for you know, the whole group and you get through the whole process of doing it online and everything. And then you put in <laughs> your, your, your card details and it says, this isn't working. Yes. <laughs> so, so then you're like, right, well, I've really got – To get this done but everything gets really stressful Mm. and inevitably it was just an overload for me and so I snapped at my mum was that helpful no it wasn't I had to think about what it was that was leading me into feeling overwhelmed and I was stressed you know I was worried about my money what if I can't pay for this then what's going to happen no one's going to eat we've got to leave the house in 10 minutes it needs to be done before then yeah And, of course, who was the the first person who was the easiest to take out my anger on? Mm. It was my mum. Of Mm. course it was. So I had to reflect on that. I had to reflect on the fact that, actually, she's the closest member of my family who I know Mm. almost expects me to get shouty. (laughs) Because she's my mum. She knows me. But she's also the only person I shout at. <laughs> Poor mum. <laughs> Poor Mum, I know, right? And I felt awful. But that's I think but that's, it took self reflection yeah. to get there to understand why have I done what I've done and am I happy with that? No, I'm not happy with that. So you go and resolve the issue in the way that works best. You know, hopefully it's not beating someone up, but it's actually hmm. thinking about, look, I'm sorry. This is what I've done and this is why I've done it and I hope you understand that.
0: And I think that when you, you mentioned overload that was one of the things I wanted to bring up is because every conversation I have, it, 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 I've come to the conclusion, am not saying it's factual, I've come to the conclusion that it's just an overloading of mm. multiple things. And this is obviously backed by science because when I'm speaking about it, I've read it somewhere, is that being overloaded with your daughter being unwell or there's an issue. The... Food is not being processed through the app for whatever reason, your car's not working, like, fuck. The timeline of you have to be out in half an hour or 10 minutes, those three things in itself, when you're on holiday and you're trying to please people, is another thing. So all these things are bubbling up anyway. Um, And I think outside of your situation and the things that we see or we hear and all the things that we're trying to help people with is that they don't have an outlet Mm. around overloading and they don't have someone to confide in and they don't have a trusted person or um, they just don't know what to do mm. to remove the overloading process. Yeah. Um, like we spoke about before, self, that word, um, that's how I deal with it. mm that doesn't work for everyone. Mm. Um, Mindfulness, spirituality, conversation, uh, psychotherapy. I think the biggest thing I find people with overloading is just, they don't have the education, Mm. how to help oneself. Mm. Um, So I think having this podcast and other podcasts and the service that we offer, educating people what, you do overall including the five-by-five model because what I have found about the five-by-five model this is a compliment by the way is that (laughs) um, individually individually the person benefited as as well the organization because I become more focused around educating the team around what we're doing But individually, they also benefited as a person, as as, as they developed relationships, such. So Sam runs his own little uh, business, as does some of the other team. They benefited. Um, But I think that overloading element, this sounds um, easy. Is there any quick wins that you got back to a normal state from? Mum! you would overload is anything that you did apart from speaking well i had to
1: think about it
0: mm. self-reflection as you say yeah
1: um and i also had to acknowledge that i was wrong
0: which is hard for you know, a lot of people
1: yeah totally you know but i had to do it mm. because i knew that i'd you know really hurt my mum mm. really hurt her you know it was out of order my behavior was not on so I had to sort of climb down from my stance, my soapbox. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm right, you know, it was, this is why. You know, and just sort of take a position of contrition and say, look, this is not how I want it to go. That helped. Mm-hmm. You know, my mum got it, you know. If I'm honest, I was tearful. I wasn't expecting to be tearful, but that was important, mm. you know, to, to be tearful wasn't wailing and sobbing, but you know, I felt the emotion. Mm. So I think, how do we do this? So that overload, that pressure cooker, it does feel like a pressure cooker. Well, a pressure cooker is like a bomb. If you don't let the pressure out, you've got to let some of the pressure out sometimes, and it's just the same with life as well. Mm. If you're overwhelmed, yeah, it will compound and it will build. You know, what's a fantastic way of releasing some of that negative energy that we can encounter in life. Exercise, you know, Mm. spending three minutes punching a a bag, you know, and really getting out some of that energy. It's amazing. Exhausting yourself to the point where you can't move anymore.
0: Or an hour and a half.
1: That can help. (laughs) It It does massively
0: help. help. And I think from, again, this is me speaking, You mentioned earlier on about most men's emotions first go to his anger, man's anger. I know that, and I've learned that over the past six years, I think. So how, I guess this is speaking to a male audience more than anything else, but how do you um, stop giving a shit about things that can make you angry? From my perspective, Hmm. is be more grateful, appreciate what you have, Mm. Seeing the world for what it is, because it's easier to bitch and complain about. John next door got a new car and I'm driving this old Polo. I don't know. It's easy to find those negatives in life and then having a, a, a an old car, not liking the job that you're in, not seeing the kids enough, not having enough financial issues, blah, blah, blah. I've been practicing gratefulness every day for 10 minutes, every morning, when I walk the dog in the pissing rain or when it's sunshine, and I always start with that, and it changes every day, and it's always got a Billy element in it. Mm. Um, the, the, I, I, there's, there's maybe a couple of days in the past six months that I've not practiced it, and I can guarantee, mm. guarantee, I'll be bitchy.
1: Yeah. Okay. So you're talking about appreciating, appreciating, you know, talking about contentment. You know, mm-hmm. These are things we've talked about already yeah. in the, the wheel of well-being. You know, it, it, it is an important part to the whole process. Is I was talking to uh, someone who was depressed and she, she was talking to me because she was feeling like she was suicidal. She wasn't mm-hmm. suicidal, she wasn't going to take her life, but things were bad. And we we're just talking about noticing the small things, noticing the things in life that you just wouldn't ordinarily notice. Mm. Right? And she said, oh, you mean like when I'm in my office and after it's stormed and I look out and I see the tulips emerging like that? And I said, like that. Mm -hmm. And that fundamentally changed the way that she looked at things. She could see the beauty in things that you would miss ordinarily because she wasn't appreciating what there was mm. you know i remember during lockdown remember lockdown all mm. that covid nonsense and uh you know stress of working from home and the kids are at home too because they're not in school because schools are closed and mm. you have to be a teacher at the same time as a parent And you have to do the work as well. And guess what? You fail at all three (laughs) miserably. So you're stressed already. Home that you once used to love is no longer a fun place because you cannot escape it. You're trapped. You've got compounding pressure. And I remember I was walking on the canal uh, with the, the kids and because uh, we had to get out of the house you know yes. it's like we're going for an exercise let's go four walls <laughs> yeah <laughs> and they're like we don't want to go and it was <laughs> raining i'm like we have to go it was raining and uh you know i've got my raincoat on uh, my son's got his raincoat on my daughter doesn't have a raincoat on hmm. i'm like put your raincoat on no i want my raincoat i'm like oh anyway so i'm just really irritated at this stage you know i'm just fed up mm. and uh you know i've just got a mood on me now i'm just discontent i'm unhappy i'm just miserable you know and uh when we were walking along the canal i was just in this bad mood you mm. know how it goes the kids were laughing and i thought wait a minute the kids are having a nice time i'm irritated and annoyed because my daughter's not doing as I tell her to do which Mm. is all well intended you know being in the cold and the rain without a coat's gonna catch you a cold Mm. but she was having fun enjoying the rain with my son Mm. and they normally quarrel and bicker (laughs) (laughs) and they're enjoying and suddenly I thought do you know what I would have not noticed that Mm -hmm. if i just just followed my mood i wouldn't have seen that so sometimes we do have to just stop and take notice and be grateful as you say
0: there's I think within in every environment and again i sound like a hippie sometimes when i say this and people like people can't deal with my energy sometimes because i'm like positive